It's 1208, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Let's get started before three big things. An update on a story we started off today's yesterday's program with. The lunatic Fresno State professor. This is the woman, Randa Gerard, who is a creative writing teacher at Fresno State, who upon the passing of Barbara Bush last week sent out the various tweets um, Barbara Bush was a generous and smart and amazing racist who, along with her husband, raised a war criminal. She then used a word I can't use on the radio, out of here with your nice words. Um, either you are one of those pieces of, I can't use that word either, and they're genocidal ways or you're part of the problem. That's actually how simple it is. I'm happy the witch is dead. Can't wait for the rest of her family to fall to their demise the way 1.5 million Iraqis have. She went on to say, I'm glad that George Bush is unhappy that his mother has passed away. I am a tenured professor. I make $100,000 a year. Nobody can do anything to me. And, of course, there was this pressure brought on Fresno State. Alumni are saying they're not going to make contributions, maybe not send their kids there. Fresno State yesterday said, well, you know, we're embarrassed by this, but we can't do anything. We think it's a First Amendment matter, to which I would say that's that's absolutely ridiculous. You have a right under the First Amendment to say what you want, but that doesn't mean that there shouldn't be consequences. But Fresno State has taken decided not to challenge the liberal orthodoxy and allowing this horrible person to continue to be on their staff. Well, okay, that's the decision they've made. Now donors can decide if they want to vote with their checkbooks. And my suggestion would be, if you were a Fresno State donor, never give another dime to that school. But that's the consequence. It is interesting to me, though, a tale of two places. Here you have this woman who preaches this horrible hatred, horrible, hateful things. And Fresno State decides we're not going to do anything. In contrast, Marquette University who, of course, had political science professor John McAdams, whose ultimate sin was he was a conservative, is a conservative in a very, very liberal university, who for years exposed things that made the university feel uncomfortable, not in a hateful sort of fashion, but just said this is what is going on in the university and caused them embarrassment. Marquette University decides that they are going to fire John McAdams based on the fact that he discloses how a, a person teaching a, a class, an instructor, has essentially you know, shut down any sort of discussion and told a student, you, know, you, you can't bring up the topic, you can't indicate that you might be opposed to gay marriage in my classroom because, well, that, that might be hurtful. By McAdams exposing something that factually went on in the classroom and that caused embarrassment to Marquette University, they fire him. But but at Fresno State, you can use your Twitter account to talk about how you think that uh, former First Lady Barbara Bush, how you're glad she's dead, and, and that's going to be protected. Huh. Huh. Actually, the, you want to talk about outcomes. It should be 100% different. John McAdams should still be teaching at Marquette, and this woman shouldn't be anywhere near a classroom at Fresno State, but it shows how weird and topsy-turvy the world has become. All right, let's get started. Three big things. Bernie Sanders, remember him? Bernie Sanders, who perhaps could have been president, because the truth is, um, if, if the Democrats hadn't essentially gotten together in 2016 and conspired to, in my opinion, rig the, rig the primary system for Hillary Clinton, 
Uh, Bernie Sanders would have been the candidate, and I, I don't know if Donald Trump would have beaten Bernie Sanders. I know that is bizarre to say, and I don't know if America would really be ready for a full-out, all-avowed socialist, but I, I think given how weird the 2016 election process was, stranger things could have happened. Well, old Bernie is not going away. He he continues, I think, to want to be president, and he is about as far to the left as you could possibly be. It used to be, at least in some segments of, of this world, of this of America, a, a bad thing to be identified as a socialist because socialism does not work. Socialist countries inevitably collapse, some sooner, some later, but inevitably they collapse. But Bernie Sanders, who's out there, he's in a vow, I mean, with his socialistic ideas, he, he's out there and he's trying to run to the very, very farthest left he can possibly get. So yesterday he comes out with this plan. Here's the idea. He says he wants everybody to have a good job. All right, well, I, I think, you know, we, we'd all like to have that. Matter of fact, with unemployment at record lows, chances are that most people, um, you know, do have at least a chance for a job. But here's what he says. He says, this is what I want. I want a federal law which would guarantee a job for every adult American who wants one. The jobs would pay $15 an hour minimum. The jobs would also have health insurance and retirement benefits plus vacation. Um, two weeks paid vacation, $15 an hour minimum. That means that each worker um, with the two weeks of vacation would make roughly $31,000 a year. The benefits, conservatively, at least $10,000. So let's, let's say the total cost of his proposal, conservatively, would be about $40,000 per person that would now be hired for the federal government. What would these people do? Well, that's kind of up in in the air because, um, candidly, you know, who, who knows what the jobs are that are out there and who knows, you know, how many, well, potentially millions of people might take advantage of this because currently the United States has between 25 to 50 million workers making less than this total compensation package. So what if 25 or 30 or 40 million people decide, hey, Here's what we're going to do. We want to go work for the federal government. In any event, by any sort of conservative estimate, most people think that this would cost at least $2 trillion, which would rival or exceed the expenditures on Social Security and maybe Medicaid thrown in for good uh, for uh, good measure. All right, 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I understand this sounds appealing. Well, gee, this is great. The federal government providing anybody who wants one a job that pays at least $15 an hour, two weeks vacation, um, and benefits. This, this is just, this is what our society needs. Is it really? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is Bernie on to something? essentially adding millions and millions of people to the federal workforce. I don't know what they're going to be doing. I don't think he does either. Um, with guaranteed salaries and benefits. Are we ready for what essentially would be pretty much full-on socialism? 414-799-1620, we discuss when we come back. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1216, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 
1290 Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I, I, I'm not making this up. Bernie Sanders, the man who would be president, is now saying, look, the federal government should guarantee anybody who wants a job, a job that pays $15 an hour plus benefits, total would be over $40,000 a year. You're looking at $1 to $2 trillion a year. This would exceed Social Security. It would probably be the largest entitlement program ever. He doesn't know what the people would be doing necessarily. Um, the idea is just show up, I guess, at the federal office at whatever community you're in, and they'll try to figure out something for you to do. All right. Is this the wave of the future? Mike on the northwest side. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Mike. Uh, my, my question is, uh, does Bernie Sanders think that these people are qualified? Uh, doesn't matter. Does, do, doesn't matter, Mike. You you know, it doesn't matter. You don't have to be qualified because we don't know what you're going to be doing, <laughs> you know, either, you know. Well, uh, I'll apply for it. Yeah, well, well, that that that's it. It's like, okay, $40,000 a year, guaranteed benefits, couple weeks of vacation, um and I, you know who who knows yeah i'll show up give give me the job well i don't i don't know what the job might be don't have any qualifications necessarily but here i i i want it and of course how are we going to pay for that mike well we're going to pay for it by the rest of us who are working in the private sector having to pay more and more in taxes to fund this entitlement program absolutely thanks for the call 414-799-1620 that's the accident mortgage talk and text line also, I mean, let's kind of think this through, because there are places right now that pay less than 50, that have benefit packages of under $40,000 a year. So now what's going to happen, you want to talk about the double kick, is, all right, let's say, let's say I'm, I'm working a job and make 30 grand a year, all in, all done, okay? I now go to my employer and say, hey, I can go work for the federal government. I don't know what I'm going to be doing. But I can go sign up for this uh, program at the federal level, so I want you to give me an extra $10,000. And if you don't, I'm going to leave. So assuming that the private sector then has to boost wages and benefits or whatever, you're going to talk about not just the $1 to $2 trillion federal outlay, but all the other increased costs that are going to be passed on. But, of course, this is socialism at work. The federal government takes from those who have and distributes to those who don't, and we all are even out. We're all even. I mean, maybe Bernie should read Animal House to under uh, to I mean, read Animal Farm to understand how that really just doesn't work. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Dave in Green Bay. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Hi, Dave. Yeah. Um, it, this this is so ridiculous. Okay, I'm a sixty two year old veteran. I went through the the crash of 05, 08, or whatever, and I've been in jobs here and there my whole life. Okay, maybe you do something that you don't quite like, but it does pay the bills. I've never been on unemployment. you got to have skin in the game, and you have to prove yourself in this country. And if you just get off your arse, and, you know, 15, it's socialism. I don't know why they let Bernie even talk, because socialism doesn't work. It doesn't work. Well, it's have- never it's never worked. I mean, look what socialism did for the Cuban economy. Look at what socialism did for Venezuela. Look at what socialism has done for the USSR. Do we really want that standard of living here? No, no. And and I just don't understand why some millennials. I've got a, my youngest son. He just thinks Finland is the greatest place in the world, but they take eighty percent of your pay off to pay for everything. So everything might be free, but you know, I said, you know. Uh, some of these younger people, yeah, they might have a lot of college debt and stuff or whatever. It's kind of tough, it's, but it's never been easy, Jeff. And that's what I always tell them. You've you got to get one foot in front of the other and get out there. And it'll it'll work. 
Well, it, it, it I mean, thank, thanks for the call. I appreciate. I mean, this, it, it, but it's this. I see. I understand. This is the, this has this appeal. Oh, this this would be just absolutely wonderful, wouldn't this be perfect? You know, we could have everybody working. Well, all right. What about then the people that you hire that? Well, you you have them doing. I don't know, New Deal type of stuff, you know, work, working on our rebuilding roads. Well, first of all, what about the folks that don't have the skills to do that? What about the people that don't have the work ethic to do it? Well, what are you going to do with those folks? Are you going to be able to fire them? Good luck with that. I mean, you would be talking about increasing the federal workforce potentially by millions. What do you do with a situation where, let's say, you have a community? Let's take a, a rural community where the unemployment rate is especially high. So all of a sudden, you have a large number of people just show up at the federal office and say, okay, well, we want, we, we want to work. Well, all right, we, we don't have really anything for you to do in this sort of community. Yeah, okay, well, maybe we need some roads worked on in Alabama. Are you going to send people from, say, rural Wisconsin down to the middle of Alabama to work on these things? I, I mean, it's just one of these things that it sounds good, perhaps. Oh, this is great. We're talking about socialism. And maybe it will have a, an appeal to some people who don't understand how the real world works. But this is Bernie Sanders at his finest. He's trying to rush as far as he can get to the left um, and, and hope maybe that this country doesn't recognize that socialism doesn't work. But, hey, if, you know, you're, you're out of college, you're looking for a job, well, okay, you know, maybe maybe Bernie has that idea. All right, when we take, we're going to take a break. When we come back, do you know who Joy Reid is? If not, it's an interesting story, not so much because of what she did, but because of the fact that she's going to be able, I think, to get away with it. Stick around, 1225, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1227, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, big story number two. It is the incredible double standard that exists in America today between conservatives and between liberals. Now, Gru, who's producing the show today and always, Joy Reid, you know who she is? You know? Okay, Joy Reid is an African-American liberal commentator one of the rising stars on MSNBC. I would say next to Rachel Maddow, she's probably the one of their most prominent liberals. Um, and she's she's had great success recently because she's she's way out there in the anti-Trump stuff. I mean, she's she has really kind of come to prominence the last year or two by being about as far anti-Trump as you can be and throwing out all these different challenges and things like that. And that that appeal, she offers this red meat to a certain part of her audience. Well, as I've said for decades, um, the, the tolerance of the left for various positions is actually, you want to talk about intolerant, you get it from the left. Try finding a pro-life Democrat, you're, you're not going to find them in any degree of promise, whereas you, you do have pro-life and you've got pro-choice re- Republicans. Okay, so Joy Reid, um, this is one of the things that happens, and it's one of the lessons that you should learn on the Internet, that once you put stuff out there, it's always going to be out there. So about, well, this all goes back uh, uh, 10 years ago or so, when she was just starting out, 
and she was trying to make a name for herself and try to get attention. She had a, a blog that she called the the Reed R E I D. That's her name, the Reed Report. And what came out? Well, here, let me share with you how the New York Times presents this. Back in December, after a series of homophobic posts on her defunct decade-old blog resurfaced on social media, MSNBC host Joy Reid apologized for them. So there were all these different posts that came out, things that she had written um, that were now embarrassing. And she, she was writing things about how she thought it was disgusting to see two men kissing and, um, it, you know, that type of stuff, which would be completely and totally appalling to the American left now. All this homophobic stuff, and here you have one of the liberal elite that's saying all these things. So these these blog entries surfaced on her report. She acknowledged that she had written them. She apologized for them. Well, stay tuned for the rest of the story. It's 1234, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, New Walkie and WTMJ present... YP Week for a full list of Milwaukee's YP Week events. That's young professionals. Just check out the featured promotion section at WTMJ.com or text the word LIST to the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line 414-799-1620. Hey, while you're at WTMJ.com, you can go to our podcast page. You can sign up to be notified every time a new podcast is posted. I know a lot of people listen to this show in that fashion, and I very much appreciate it. Okay, Joy Reid, African-American woman, flame-throwing liberal who's kind of made her bones over the course of the last couple years by being one of these kind of crazy out there, never-Trumpers, we hate Donald Trump, anything goes. Well, it, it came out a couple months ago that she had, 10 years ago, written a number of posts on this blog that she had that were extremely homophobic. Let me put it like this. If it were a conservative commentator who had written Something like that 10 years ago, that person would have been subjects of boycotts, would have probably been off the air. But because the left doesn't really care, as long as she's out there now as a flamethrower, she apologized. said, I'm sorry for these different things, and and I, I love the lesbian and gay community, even though I wrote all these hateful things. Okay, so that's it. So, well, there are these various services out there that archive stuff that is on the the internet. Um, one of them's called it's like the Wayback Machine, and, and what what they do, at least the way I understand what they do, is even if if stuff has disappeared, if it's been taken down, it's been deleted. What they have the ability to do is take like screen captures, like pictures of what was once posted. So you, you can go back and you can retrieve the stuff. You you can look at it and and you can find it. So even though you think you might have deleted it. Well, it, it might have been the subject of screen capture, and maybe you can find it. So that's the background. So anyhow, what, what happens is um, that a whole new series of blog posts, different than the ones that surfaced in December, but still consistent with th- this whole theme of, I'm disgusted by, you know, I'm disgusted by, you know, gay men kissing and things like that. A whole new series of blog posts has circulated. And again, it's very, very similar to what she acknowledged. But now there's all this other stuff that's out there. 
Well, instead of simply taking the position that, yeah, I, I wrote these two, she is now saying that I, I, I never wrote these. I, I These were not mine. Um, what happened is I, this is the work of a hacker. Um, she said, okay, the, the stuff that they found um, from 2007 to 2009 that mocked certain uh, lesbian and gay individuals and all, she says these are fraudulent and they were inserted into legitimate content by an unknown external party. In other words, I, I'm a victim. That's what she claims. Well, both the, the Wayback Machine, which is the, the thing that, that does this, and you know some of the other places, the Internet Archive, which is a, a online record-keeping nonprofit that hosted the archived version of her site, both of those outfits look at this and they say, no, we, we can find absolutely no evidence that your old blog posts were hacked into. You, at least based on what we can find right now, you can say it. You know, who are you going to believe, me or your lying eyes? You, you can say it, but there's no evidence to support what you are saying. And rather than being the victim of a hacker, what it appears is you are lying about the fact that you wrote these various things, especially since you acknowledge writing some of them, but now the more of these, you know, have surfaced, you know, it, it does appear that you said this. So the Internet Archive is saying there's no evidence that her various homophobic posts were fraudulent. Now, here's what, what I think is going to be the interesting thing. It, it's what does a place like MSNBC do with this? Like I say, I guarantee you, if this were a prominent conservative commentator and they went back 10 years and found that there had been all this homophobic writing and things like that, you would have protests. You would have calls for boycotts. You know, the phone lines would be deloged with uh, the management saying, you've got to take this person off the air. But now that you've got Joy Reid, who is a darling of the left, who acknowledged writing some of this stuff and now appears to have written a lot more and is lying about the fact that she wrote a lot more, or at least... You know, the people that are responsible for checking on this don't believe her denials. Now the question is going to be, you know, can you do anything about this? You know, will we just ignore this because she's the darling of the left? And if so, and if that in fact happens, what an incredible double standard that exists. And if people wonder why so many conservatives scream about these type of double standards, all you got to do is look at the Joy Reid situation and say, boy, what would have happened if that had been a prominent conservative commentator who not only wrote those type of things and then now appears to be lying about writing some of the stuff? You know, would they have a job? And the answer is, of course, they wouldn't have a job. But I guess double standards are what it's all about nowadays. It's 1241. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. When we come back, the guy is still practicing law. What's with that? 1244, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The Bucks lose a tough one in Game 5 against the Celtics in Boston. Now it's win or go home as the series shifts back to Milwaukee. Thursday evening, Bucks TV guy Jim Paschke shares his thoughts on the Bucks' chances. 3.30 this afternoon on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Yes, that was, in fact, a tough game last night. But because I'm a glasses-half-full guy... Um, the Brewers 
I, I saw and listened to a good portion of that game. The Brewers have now won seven games in a row. Solid win, well played, 5-2 to two victory in Kansas City. One of the cool things was Lorenzo Cain, who started out as a Brewer, then got traded to Kansas City, had a great career in Kansas City, and then came back to the Brewers this season you know, on a, on a five-year uh, free agent deal. But it, w- it was the coolest thing in the world. He was a star on the Kansas City World Series teams. They went to the World Series twice, won it once. Um, and it was it's always interesting to see how you're going to be received when you came back. I happened to be watching the game when he had his first at-bat. He got not just applause. He got riotous applause, a standing ovation, and, and it was it was so cool. He was clearly taken back. He kind of, like, milked it and stuff. The crowd, you know, and a lot of times, that speaks a lot for the Kansas City fans because they appreciate that he did a lot for that team and what a good guy he was. And, I mean, I got a lot of respect for the Kansas City fans by, you know, that, that applause. And he had a great day. Got on base several times, hit a solo home run. Um, Lorenzo Cain going to be a big winner for the Brewers. So they're up to seven games. Now, I happen to be talking to Scott Orris earlier on today, and I think he's going to make a little bit bigger deal about this. But, you know, historically, George Webb Restaurants ha- has always, if the Brewers win 12 in a row, they- they've always given away free hamburgers, you know, and they-, they did it a number of years ago when the Brewers had a 12-game winning streak. Now, they haven't said anything yet. And I don't want the cart to get ahead of the horse because the Brewers right now, they've won seven games in a row, and they're on the road, so they have another game in Kansas City tonight and then a four-game series against the Chicago Cubs. So to win 12 in a row, they'd have to sweep the Cubs at Wrigley Field. I'm not predicting that that's going to happen, but nevertheless, um, I think it's time to start speculating what is George Webb going to do um, now that that winning streak is getting up there. And regardless... I mean, Brewers baseball, we've got the game on the air tonight. Uh, tomorrow we'll have the Bucks playoff game on TMJ and the Brewers game on 94.5 KTI Country. But um, I tell you, this Brewers team seems to be for real. How exciting is that? All right, big story number three. If you are a regular listener, you, you know that I'm I'm licensed to practice law in the state. And the um, ever since I started practicing law, one of the things that I have always been bothered by is the fact that the disciplinary system for lawyers is is set up by lawyers, it's run by lawyers, and I think it's run for the benefit of lawyers. And every once in a while you'll have these stories where you try to explain them to the general public, and, and there's really no good explanation. Journal Sentinel has a story like this. There's this Fox Point lawyer, okay, based out of Fox Point, 64 years old, been practicing law for going on 40 years. He steals money from the estate of a client, right? Now, it always used to be that the the one ultimate no-no was you can't steal money from your client. And apparently, according to the investigation by the lawyer's regulatory thing, um, you know, what he did is he wrote checks and made electronic fund transfers totaling over $25,000 to himself and his law office. So he's managing this estate. He's stealing money from the estate. He gets caught. He pays it back. All right, pays it back, but he still he still stole the money, right? The fact that you make restitution or pay it back, to me, it doesn't matter. You stole the money. So anyhow, the district attorney's office 
charges him with five felonies and three misdemeanors for transferring money from this estate to his personal and business accounts. He was the attorney for the state in 2014. He cuts a deal in January, and the district attorney's office drops the felony accounts. By the way, you can be convicted as a felon in Wisconsin and not lose your license to practice law. We've talked about that before. You have felons that are practicing law. But anyways, the district attorney's office gives this guy the break of a lifetime, in my opinion, and they drop the felonies. So he pleads guilty to three misdemeanor counts of theft in a business setting. All right? But but it's still, he's a lawyer. He's stolen money from a client. So he appears in court. They were going, the district attorney's office recommended a suspended jail term of one year and two years of probation with the condition that he not work in any fiduciary capacity, including as a lawyer. All right, we'll give this guy another break. We've dropped the felonies. We'll recommend probation, but during the course of probation, we don't want him handling other people's money, you know, as a lawyer. Um, the, the, the judge, and I, 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 I know, I know the judge in this particular case, um, didn't buy into that, chose not to impose that condition, meaning that for now, Morse can continue to practice law. He was ordered to do 40 hours of community service and faces six months in the House of Correction if he violates other conditions of the probation. But um, at this point in time, um, he's not stopped from practicing law. He stole from clients, and he can still practice law. Now, I guess this is just one of these things that is mind-boggling. And sometimes I think people who are in the legal profession don't understand why people outside the legal profession just look and, and shake their heads. If you had a bank teller that stole $25,000 from the bank she worked for, all right, even if she paid it back, no one would argue that that person, that bank teller, that you should put her behind, you know, at another teller drawer or handling money in any sort of capacity. And to the extent that there was some sort of regulatory agency which regulated bank tellers, you, you got to think that they would have some prohibition a- about that. But yet, when it comes to the legal profession, because, again, the rules are set by lawyers and they're implemented by lawyers and, and judges, you, you have this sort of situation. I mean, again, just if you have a salesperson, for example, that stole $25,000 from his company, you know, would, would anybody argue that if that was a licensed business, that that salesman should be able to go back and, and work for somewhere else, at, at least, you know, at, at least before several years have expired? And I think most people would say absolutely not. It's a, it's, this is an issue that the legal profession has to grapple with. In Wisconsin, we are notably lacking in disciplining attorneys who are involved in the commission of crimes. Um, and I think that laxity really um, just, I think it's one of the reasons why a lot of people just kind of look at the legal profession and sort of shake their head. And this is sort of one of these examples. I'm not saying the guy should go to prison. I don't know any of the circumstances about that. But, okay, you're a lawyer. You steal money. Maybe, maybe you shouldn't be practicing law moving forward. Just saying. 
1252, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1255, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The new Packers general manager braces for his first NFL draft. How did his predecessors do? WTMJ's Jay Sorgi reflects on some of the best picks from Green Bay. That's at 751 tomorrow. Tune into Wisconsin's Morning News. This really is an incredibly active sports week. You've got, of course, the Bucks that are in the playoffs. Tomorrow night is game six, maybe the last game ever, win or lose, at the Bradley Center for the Bucks. But, you know, it, it's exciting. They, they've won a couple games. You've got the Brewers. As I was just saying before, the Brewers are on a seven-game winning streak. Somebody sent me a text saying, well, you're looking at the teams they're beating. Yeah, I, I understand. They, they beat right now Cincinnati, Miami, and Kansas City, which are all teams that are struggling. But but who cares? I mean, who cares? The, the idea is if you're going to do well in baseball – You've got to beat the teams that you're supposed to beat, and then you've got to play the, the teams that are as good as you or maybe a little better. You've got to play them evenly. And, and right now, the Brewers are doing exactly that. They are beating the teams that they need to beat. They swept San Diego in San Diego to open the season. You know, they're better than San Diego. They should have done that. They won two out of three from Cincinnati. They won four in a row from Miami. They beat Kansas City. Hey, it, they, you know, they're doing what they have to do. They are not losing to the teams that they should not lose to. And, you know, you've got to give them a lot of credit. And then, of course, you've got the NFL draft that's coming up. And the Packers, I mean, it, it is the it is the silver lining in the dark cloud that was the kind of lost season last year. They've got the 14th pick in the draft. So chances are they're going to be able to get a good player, and so that's all going to be exciting. You know, we're going to have all that covered on Friday night. Uh, Greg Matzik, that's going to be day two of the draft. Greg Matzik's, I think, going to be, like, all in on the NFL draft um, from 6 until 9 o'clock on Sports Central because, um, or at least he's going to be um, all in on the draft because there's a uh, Brewers game in the afternoon. So that'll be a lot of fun to watch. Okay, today in front of the Supreme Court, you have the, the Trump travel ban, which is being argued. This is, of course, you know, what President Trump implemented early on in his administration and then had to change twice because you had various courts that got involved in it. But this is his rule, which identifies certain countries and saying, we're going to set up certain criteria for people coming from these countries because they don't have the vetting procedures that a lot of places have. And, of course, you've got the anti-Trump people who are just willing to put national security behind their hatred for Donald Trump. And they are arguing, well, you know, you shouldn't be able to single out a couple of these countries. And this is a this is an anti-Muslim ban because of the handful of countries you've listed. They, they, they're, they are Muslim, predominantly Muslim countries. Um, the case was argued in front of the Supreme Court today, and it appears that the, the conservative justices, um, and there's a majority of them, were, were having none of the objections to the ban. The lawyer for the Trump administration made this great point. He said, look, if you're going to try to argue that this is a this is an anti-Muslim thing, it, it's the worst anti-Muslim thing ever initiated because the vast majority of countries that are majority Muslim, they're not covered by this this additional vetting sort of thing. You can go broke trying to predict what the Supreme Court's going to do, but my guess on, I guess based on what happened at the oral arguments, is that um, Trump's going to win this one in front of the Supreme Court. Don't be surprised if that happens. When we come back, I want to talk about the legacy of Bill Cosby.
106.108, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Um, in the almost 20 years that I have done a show on WTMJ, I've had an opportunity. I typically do not do interviews. I mean, sometimes if, there, if there's an interview opportunity presented, I'll take it. But in, in general, the way I like to run my show is I, I like to discuss with you the various issues of the day and your take and my take and, and we react. But every once in a while I'll have interviews and occasionally there will be celebrity interviews when they're coming to town, for example, for a show or something and a lot of times it'll be, okay, well we have a ticket giveaway in connection with that and part of the deal is, Jeff, will you do the interview? And and, and I'll do that on occasion. Um, a number of years ago I remember interviewing Bill Cosby and some of these sometimes when you talk to the celebrity interviews they're very, very difficult. William Shatner was very, very... You, you weren't working for me, Grew, with me. when uh, Bill, Bill, William Shatner was very, very difficult, for example. Um, uh, but, but Bill Cosby. And, and I, I admit, I, I am... Let's put aside the current problems. I, I grew up Bill Cosby. I mean, you know, Hey, 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 and Fat Albert, and The Cosby Show... I mean, I remember, I'm old enough to remember when Bill Cosby was one of, like, the breakout African-American stars. You know, he and Robert Culp were on uh, I Spy, you know, and they, and I, I remember that. And then I remember his, his years as a stand-up comedian. I can remember getting Bill Cosby records, yes, actually records, you know, and listening to stuff and laughing out loud. I mean, Bill Cosby w- was hysterical, you know, and he went on to, again, have just incredible success as um what Cliff Huxtable, um, the, the doctor on the, the Cosby family, and now the Cosby show. And now, you know, it, there's all these allegations that have come out. He's 80 years old. He's not in very good health. And there are people that are coming forward and they're accusing him of doing various things over the years. Um, a number of women over a period of decades. And the, the allegations are kind of the, the modus operandi. And the suggestion is he would take these women, bring these women to his house. He would drug them, he would have sex with them, and then move on. He is on trial right now for something that happened sometime in the early aughts. When it happened is important, because if it happened before, like, January of 2004, the statute of limitations has expired. Um, The prosecution is trying to prove that this happened, and it happened in 2004, um, and it happened before the statute of limitations would have, have expired. So there, there's a question as to timing on this whole thing. But essentially, it's a woman who was at, at, at Temple University, and he, he's a big Temple University guy. And her story is she came to his house, and again, he, he drugged her. Um, she's being portrayed by the defense as um, the defense's theory is, Yes, something happened. It was a consensual encounter. Um, she's now trying to get money out of this. She had filed a lawsuit that was settled years ago. So they're 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 going after her. And there's there's I mean she they had the defense had witnesses that said that she talked about how you know she had this plan to get a lot of money from a celebrity. I don't know what happened between the two of them. I I, I don't. You do look at the number of women who have come forward though over the years. And you start to see that there is this pattern. And whether it was, whether it was consensual or not, I mean, you, you don't know. The, the Cosby defense in this case is, yeah, something happened between them, but they were, it was a consensual sort of thing. He didn't drug her, he didn't take advantage of her. I don't know if that's true or not. But you do have these two stories that are emerging. You have the Bill Cosby, the public Bill Cosby, that a number of us saw over the decades. 
the the Cliff Huxtable, the the father figure, the you know successful comedian, and, and Bill Cosby. I mean, used his. He used his bully pulpit to speak out on social issues as well. I mean, he would regularly talk about, I don't know, problems affecting, for example, black America. And, and he'd talk about it in a way that I think sometimes it, it was not consistent with the liberal orthodoxy. Now you've got all these other things that are coming out that start to wonder, did you ever really even know Bill Cosby? What kind of guy was he really? Right. I want to open up the phone lines and, and the jury got the case yesterday. They are continuing to deliberate. Um, this is an assault trial. He's accused of three counts of assault. The jury hung. It was a hung jury. They could not agree the last time this case was tried. So this is the retrial. At the retrial, the judge has allowed what they call other acts evidence. He's allowed a couple other women who say that Cosby did the same thing to them to come in and testify as well. So you don't know what sort of impact that's going to have on the jury. Nevertheless, it's been very aggressively defended. The Victim in this case is being portrayed as sort of a money grubbing kind of liar. That's what they're they're calling her. So I don't know how this trial is going to turn out, but we do know a lot more about Bill Cosby now than we ever did before. All right, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. In your mind, and this this isn't a yes or no question. It's kind of a, a broader sort of question. When when you think now of Bill Cosby, is your opinion of him going to be permanently altered are you ever going to be able to see the great comedian and the great actor and the social figure or is this going to be his legacy the fact that you know maybe he was sexually assaulting various women what is the legacy of bill cosby to you 414-799-1620 we discuss in a minute if you're on the line please hold on 115 jeff wagner wtmj 117, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ Vice President Mike Pence is coming to Southeast Wisconsin today where he w- where he will take part in a fundraiser for Governor Scott Walker. Does the governor need the White House's support to win in November? Scott and Melissa discuss 520 this afternoon on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. So the legacy of Bill Cosby. I don't know whether a jury, this jury in Philadelphia is going to convict him or or not. Um, the prosecution's case has flaws. And I, I, and again, I take no position on what happened. I, I don't know. Um, I, I just will say that, again, it's, it's always the state's, the government's burden to prove guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. And I've kind of been following this case, and, and there, there's a lot of problems with that. Um, inconsistent statements. The timing is, is a, the, the timing is off. Apparently at the trial, they, they introduced evidence saying that at the time this woman says this thing happened, um, which would have been after the statute of limitations, that he wasn't in town, um, and they have his travel records and stuff, um, which doesn't mean it didn't happen, but if it happened earlier than the prosecution alleges, it's going to be barred by the statute of limitations. It's, it's all sorts of issues there. So I take no position on whether he's going to be convicted or not. Um, I will say this, though. I, I think there, there's no question, and you, you saw this. This happens so often. We saw this with the Tiger Woods case where, you know, Tiger Woods, for, for years and years and years, all this money was spent, you know, trying to create this certain type of image, and then that kind of all falls apart, and you realize, not in the criminal sense, but the real Tiger Woods is not the guy that you were watching on all those Nike ads, etc. 
I, I think that's the same thing that's true here with the the Bill Cosby um, situation at, as well, because I think you know, regardless of whether this was like consensual contact or not, um, here you have this guy who's you know married to the same woman for years and years and years and years and years. It's nothing to be proud of. And I think the the reality is, I I don't think that people are going to ever going to be able to, you know, watch the reruns of the Fat Albert show, uh, you know, the cartoons that they used to have, or listen to those records I was talking about. Or I don't even know if they show the Cosby show in syndication anymore. My guess would be, you know, that show is going to be pretty much buried for the longest time because you're not going to be able to separate the the Bill Cosby and all these allegations from the Bill Cosby that we thought we knew. So the Bill Cosby legacy, whether he's convicted at the age of 80 um, of, of sexual assault or not, I don't know if that's going to happen. Wouldn't be surprised if he gets acquitted, but I'm not making any predictions. But it doesn't matter. In the court of public opinion, he, he's, I, I think, already been found, at least if not guilty, he's been found wanting. And I think part of that comes from the fact that, again, there was this image of a of a public Bill Cosby that doesn't apparently seem to match up very well with the private Bill Cosby, whether or not it rises to the level of him being guilty of sexual assault or not. All right, when we come back, we had this story at the top of the 1 o'clock hour. It comes from the world of college sports, and it makes a point I have been making for years now. We're going to discuss. Stick around. It's 121. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 123, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, uh, the world of college basketball has been under a lot of fire lately. You, you've had a lot of allegations of, 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 of cheating. You've had a number of programs that have found themselves in a lot of trouble for various things, um, bribery, kickbacks, agents, those type of things. Um, Arizona, Louisville, Kansas have have all been involved in one fashion or another. Former coach at uh, Louisville, Rick Patino, was forced out in disgrace, and 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 a lot of it is, of course, due to college basketball is a huge, huge money maker for the colleges. A lot of money involved there, and of course. Again, you've got agents that are, you know, want to sign these various players, you know, bring them in. And if an agent lands a college player, when the agent, when the college player goes pro, what ends up happening is you can make a whole ton of money. And so there's a lot of incentives to try to succeed and to maybe pay money under the table one way or the other to try to get these kids to sign with you or whatever. One of the things that has changed in college over the years is for a number of years, it used to be that if you graduated from high school and you were good enough to play in the NBA, you could, if you were 18 years old, you could sign up for the NBA draft and you could go play in the NBA, right? That 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 was it. And there was, I mean, there's been a number of players over the years that didn't fool around with college. They didn't want, they didn't want to be in college. They wanted to play for the NBA. Well, the NBA put in a rule a number of years ago um, saying essentially that before you could be eligible for the draft, you have to be a year removed from your high school graduation. 
So the effect of this was to create this whole class of players that they call one and duns. It's kids that have no interest in being in college at all, that are just biding their time so they can get to the NBA. So they go to play college for a year. There, ben Simmons, who is a, an all-star center slash forward for the um, Philadelphia 76ers, there was a documentary on Showtime ab- about Simmons. He he came from Australia, transfer. he, he moved to this country, and, and he went to LSU, Louisiana State University, for a year. And, and this, this documentary followed him during his year at LSU. It's real clear. He didn't have it. He didn't want to be in college, you know. And he's just talking about this openly, saying, "I, you know, he, he resented having to be in college because he realized the college was making all sorts of money off of him, and he couldn't share in any of that. He wasn't going to classes because, I mean, he was saying, "I have no interest." They told me I have to go to these classes. I didn't want to go to these classes. All he was trying to do is the bare minimum that he had to do to make sure that he can get tossed out of school. Uh, and then after the first semester, he just didn't go to college. He didn't go to classes at all. But he made no bones about it. He was just there not to get an education. He was there just because he had to be there for a year because of of this rule. And the Showtime documentary was interesting because it follows all these agents who are, like, flocking around the college program and sniffing around him um, because they all want to sign this guy because they know he's going to be a top draft pick in the NBA. Okay, well, today there's a new report that's just come out. It, it's authored by the Commission on College Basketball, and um, it's led. This is an independent commission that was created after some of these recent scandals. And uh, Condoleezza Rice, former Secretary of State under the Bush administration, she was the head of this. And they've come out with a number of different recommendations. But one of the ones at the top is to do away with this one-and-done rule. The commission called for the NBA and its Players Association, the union, to change the rules that required college players to be at least 19 years old and a year removed from graduating for the high school. Now, this one-and-done rule was implemented in 2006, but before that, you had people like Kobe Bryant and LeBron James and Kevin Garnett and even before that, Moses Malone, who went directly to the NBA. And this commission is saying, hey, this is one of the things that's really ruining and helping pollute college basketball because you have all these players that are coming into colleges who aren't college students. They don't have any intention of being college students. They're just hanging out. I have argued for the longest time that, look, if you're a prodigy at 18 years old, let's say you graduated from high school and you're a music prodigy, okay, we don't say you can't go play uh, you you can't go on a on a tour, make money, play Carnegie Hall, you know, playing music. We don't say that. We don't say that. Gee, you know, you have to wait till you're 19 before you can go out and make money. We don't say that uh, to baseball players, for example. We don't say it to tennis players. You know, we say, hey, if you're good enough to go pro, you 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 can go pro. But the NBA says, all right, we want to make you. We're not going to take you till you're a year away. And as a result, you have all these kids going to these colleges who don't want to be in college. And essentially, I think they are polluting the college game. And this report suggests that they are corrupting the game. And you've seen this happen with a lot of teams. University of Kentucky is notorious for this. My best friend's going to cringe if he's listening right now. But Duke, which used to be a, a university where you had, you know, people would go and they'd actually graduate. 
Now, um, you know, most of the, most many of the Duke players, they're just there for a year, and they have no intention of sticking around. And the only reason they stay for more than one year is if they, you know, just have a bad first year. One thirty-four, Jeff Wagner, WTMJC. I think this one-and-done thing in college basketball is just bad for for everybody. You you have these players that graduate from high school. They have no interest in being in college. They're just hanging out so they can wait their one year to get drafted by the NBA. They're, in many cases, more troubled than they're worth. they got agents following them around. They're not going to classes. And you've got the pressure on the coaches to try to recruit these guys because you need the great players. And that's I think, has been one of the things that has led directly to a lot of the scandals you have affecting college basketball now. Why don't we just go back to the way it was before 2006? If you're good enough to play in the NBA, fine, go play in the NBA. You're 18 years old. Shouldn't you be able to make a living? Mike, downtown. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Mike. I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, this is this. They should just do away with it. It'll even the playing field. It'll let uh, coaches actually coach uh, instead of the way we have it now. I mean, Bo Ryan's not in the, the Hall of Fame, and he's done a great job coaching. Well, um, the guy at Kentucky has been there, but he gets Calipari, five yeah. McDonald, yeah, he gets five McDonald All Americans every year. And I, I just read something where, where Duke's starting five have all declared for the NBA draft. <laughs> yeah. So I so he, he's gonna he's gonna reload again next year with more McDonald's All Americans and. It's just these teams just become too powerful. I love seeing teams like that uh, University of well, Maryland. Uh, well, Villanova, and, Baltimore County, or Villanova is an example. Villanova that won the NCAA tournament. You know, a lot of those guys had played together for years. It was one of these traditional college basketball type of things. Not the, let's go out and rent a player who's going to have all sorts of baggage, who doesn't want to be in school, who's going to have agents sniffing around. I mean. Shouldn't college basketball players be for kids who for players who really want to be in college? And you really want? I really think it should be for student athletes. It's not fair for a kid who's a very good basketball player but also wants to get a degree. He, he, there's a spot that's not going to be given to him because they're going to give it to some kid who's seven foot and is going to go to the NBA next year. And you know, it, it's you really want to reward the student athletes with the with the. With the uh, well, well, right. And, yeah. No, thanks for call, Mike. And, and I mean, I want to argue the flip side of, of this as well. See, I think I don't think see, I think this is it is destroying college basketball. And I think it is also exploitive. And by that, I mean, um, look, I, I, I understand that we do not pay. You know, you don't pay the college athletes. You know, they make a ton of money for their, their schools, but they get their scholarships. You know, there's a value to that, of course. You know, and they, they get their books and they get their room and they get their board. That's, that's of course, I mean, they're, they're money-making centers. I mean, it, it's a fraction of what the schools make off of the various basketball programs. But at, at the same time, for the kids who, who don't intend to stay there for four years, who don't intend to get the college degrees, you know why? Why shouldn't they be entitled to to make money? I mean, if you're good enough. Now, I mean that that's going to be a rare a rare thing. But if you're good enough to be able to play and make that kind of money, you know why not? Why not end up doing it? The other problem you have is what about? There's always that risk of injury. Look, athletics is a different sort of thing. You know, you're playing basketball and you could be the greatest player in the world, and all of a sudden you land wrong as you're going up for a rebound or whatever and you end up blowing out your knee, 
And instead of a guy that's now going to be making, you know, has the potential to make $100 million over a career, now you're, you're somebody who's, who's out of the game, et cetera, all because you were playing in a college game when you didn't really want to be there. Now, I, I love college basketball, but I would love to see it be for the, that, that high-caliber athlete who wants to be there and for that, that special group, the Ben Simmonses, the Kobe Bryants, the Moses Malones, those type of players who are good enough to bypass college, who don't want to be in college, why make them go to college? And it is interesting because this report issued by Condoleezza Rice does come out and it says something that I've been saying for years about how if you want to look at the problems they're having in college basketball, including what they believe are a lot of the corruption problems, you get rid of this one-and-done type of thing with the kids who don't want to be there and all the other attendant problems that, that flow from this, including the pressure on coaches to try to recruit these one-and-done players and, you know, you know our, our, our families being bribed, that type of stuff. You do away with this. You go back to the way it was pre-2006. People are still going to be supporting their college basketball teams, but the process is going to have a lot more integrity. All right. In three minutes, was it racism or something else? It's another story, sort of, from the world of sports. Stick around. 140, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 143, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, so I have one of these texts. So Wojo, that's the coach at Marquette, was wrong to recruit Henry Ellenson, who was the, the one-and-done player, played for one year, didn't want to be in school, and got drafted by the Detroit Pistons. No, I, the coaches aren't wrong. This is the rules we play by. I mean, Calipari, that's that's his modus operandi. Uh uh, the, the coach at Duke now, Koshevsky, that, that's what they do. They want to be one of the top-tier programs, and so to do that, they got to get the best players, and the best players don't want to be in school, so they end up at these one-and-dones. I don't think the coaches are wrong to recruit them. I think the players, though, should have the option of being go, able to go directly to the NBA. Then you don't have all these issues that come. No, as long as you allow this, the coaches get sucked into this. The coaches, if they want to be competitive, they have to go out and try to get the best players they possibly can, including these players who have no interest in being in college. So change the rule. Let them, let everybody be happy. Let the kids who want to go to college go to college and play. Let the coaches recruit those people. And if you're good enough to make it in the pros, go make a bunch of dough. Okay. Uh, we, we've had a number of stories lately involving questions of of actions taken, and were they racist, or was there something more going on? This is an interesting story that comes from York, Pennsylvania, and the story over the last day has gone viral, so maybe you've heard about this. Um, There's a public golf course in York, Pennsylvania called Grandview Golf Course. Um, There's lots of, by the way, there's lots of Grandview golf clubs across the country. This is one in York, Pennsylvania. Interestingly, there's one in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania that's been getting a lot of fallout ever since this story. They keep saying, we're not the one in York. But anyhow, this Grandview Golf Club is a, it's a public golf course. It's not, it's not like Brown Deer. It's not owned by the county, but it, it's open to the general public. And apparently, I think it would actually be what would you classify as kind of semi-private. They, they have memberships that you can buy, but it's open to the general public. Anybody can go there and play. So um, now let me back into the story. As, as somebody who enjoys golf, although golf doesn't necessarily enjoy me, hoping to play first round of the year around here on, on Sunday, 
Um, there's nothing that drives golfers crazier, especially on weekends, than people who play slowly. Slow play is the, the thing that kills golf course. Because, I, I mean, I believe you should be able to play 18 holes of golf in three and a half hours. Four hours, okay. More than four hours, it's just, it's a crawl. And, and so there's always this pressure, if you're a golfer, on, on pace of play. Move things along. Also, what typical, and, and it's even more so on weekends, because on weekends you've got people that have all sorts of other stuff to do, and, you know, you, especially like Saturday or Sunday mornings, you, you want the people that go out and play. Those aren't the times for beginners to be on the courses, because you've, that's the time that, well, I, and, and again, maybe this is an elitist view, but I, I mean, I believe that if you want to go out and learn the game, there's all sorts of ways to do it, but if you're playing you know, Saturday morning at 830 when you've got all the weekend golfers, the people who you know wait all week to do this, if it's your once a year time, you know m- maybe you should find a little bit of a different time. Slow play drives people absolutely nuts. Okay, so here's the story. Last Saturday, there are five women. They are black women who go to this golf course, and apparently, um, the golf course the, their tea time was originally supposed to be at ten. But everything was delayed because it was cold. There was a frost warning. So all the tee times got pushed back. They didn't tee off till 11. For reasons that pass understanding, the golf course sent them out as a fivesome. Normally, the, the most people that ever play together, because the pace of play is a foursome. So this golf club sent the five of them out to play together. The golf course is located in a predominantly white um, community. So you got five black women, they're playing golf. They send them out as a fivesome. Um, it, apparently, it took them a little bit of time to play the first hole. And as they teed off on the second hole, um, they were approached by somebody who is uh, they, they a former county commissioner who serves as an advisory role for the golf course. He apparently told them that they were playing too slow, Asked them twice to leave. Said, "Hey, we'll refund your money, but you know, you get off the course. You're, you're playing way too slow." They refused. After the group finished playing nine holes, three of the women left. The other two apparently took took a break. I don't know if they had lunch or whatever, but they took a relatively substantial break. At which point in time, they were approached by one of the club's owners, who said that their break took too long and that they would have to leave. The ladies refused. At that point in time, the owners called the police on on the two women who had refused to leave. The police came, quickly determined that this was not a police issue, so this isn't like we're going to arrest anybody, and and, and left. Uh, the police said, well, we, we don't think this is a law enforcement issue. No charges left. The women then left the golf course. They have now gone public with this story, saying that this is... You know, you would not have done this to men, and you wouldn't have done it in particular to white men, and probably not even to white women. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And that's pretty much the facts of this. Now, the club originally was apologetic. They've now put out a, a statement. Um, you know, they've now, you know, put out a statement saying, Grandview currently has 2,400 members. 
In the past, players who have not followed the rules, specifically pace of play, have voluntarily left at our request as our scorecard states. In this instance, the individuals refused to leave, so we called the police to ensure an amicable result. The members did skip holes and took an extended break after the ninth hole. We spoke with them once about pace of play and then spoke with them a second time. During the second conversation, we asked them to leave as per our policy noted on the scorecard. Voices escalated and police were called to ensure an amicable resolution. Okay, was this racism or was this, hey, it's a busy weekend, you got to move along, you've got to play the 10th hole after the 9th hole, you can't take long breaks. 414-799-1620, what do you think? Um Let's start with Bill in Brown Deer. Bill, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Hi, Bill. Uh, I, you know, I worked at a golf course, and, and here's what a lot of times what happens is, is they'll go, you'll send a threesome and a twosome off, and then what will end up happening is they'll just join up after the second or third hole when no one's looking. Now, right. I don't know that's what happened. Um, but, again, you know, uh, if they're trying to play the race card here, which obviously they would, they would never post all this stuff if, if, they didn't think they were going to get a reaction. So do you think do you think the course was wrong to toss them out, to toss them off? Uh, you know, I worked on golf courses. Like I said, I mean, they kind of warn you. They'll just tell you. They'll say, listen, speed up play, or, or you have to skip a hole, or right. you've got you've to move along. I mean, you can't, you can't disrupt the whole golf course. Uh, and, and, I'm not, and here's another thing is women just don't play as fast as men. They only hit the ball 100 and... 50 yards this and, is Bill in Brown know, Deer. This is not Jeff saying this. Just I just want I want the yeah, emails coming well, your way, my friend. <laughs> if you're if you're gonna if you're gonna take five or six or seven shots a hole instead of three or four or five, you're gonna play slower. It's just math. Yeah. Well, and of course. Now, thanks for now. I mean, I will say. I mean, I I played with some women who are better golfers than me. I mean, see, I don't think it's a gender sort of thing. I mean, I think I think anybody. I, I'm I'm not that great a golfer, but I play quickly. I mean, I think there, there's ways. Just because you're not a good golfer or you don't hit the ball as far doesn't mean that you you have to be slow. I mean, I, I think to me, I guess I think that those are two different issues. But I do agree with you. Um, you know, a fivesome that creates part of the problem. The other part of the problem is at most golf courses, um, especially on busy weekends. That you know, play. I mean, most of the places I go, it says play has to be continuous. You know, you you can't. You can't take 20 minutes off between the ninth hole and the 10th hole. You have to keep playing. You know, maybe you run in and, and grab a quick soda, or maybe you run to the bathroom or grab a hot dog or something, but you have to, you have to keep playing. I don't know how long they delayed, but it does, it does seem to me that there were some pace of play issues. Now, having said that, they, they demanded they leave and called the police. Would they do that if it was, you know, white males? 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Steve in Menominee Falls. Hi, Steve. How are you doing? Real well, thank you. This is definitely not a racism thing, but the course is stupid. On a weekend to put a fivesome out, you just do not see that. That is just foolish. And I I have been on courses with white males who were playing slow and gotten a belligerent argument with uh, a golf um, pro who was supposed to be the monitor. Right. And they had to actually call the police out to the course because stuff got threatening. Uh, it's not racism, but boy, boy, the course was dumb. I mean, how 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 do you do that on a weekend? Well, right. See, you know, it's interesting you mentioned that, Steve, because you know, one of my beefs a lot of times is you go play these courses, and they've got the the marshals that are out there, and they see people that are playing really slow, and they they 
They don't want to offend people. They don't want to push them. Yeah. And, and you and, and you got to do that because it's just. I mean, it's not fair to everybody else. Um, you you know because I mean, candidly, from a business perspective, if you go out and it takes you five hours to play around on a course, chances are you're saying I'm never going to go back there again because I, I don't. You know, it, there's nothing worse than slow play at a golf course. Um, yeah, I don't know why they would have sent these folks out as a fivesome on a crowded Saturday. That's just a recipe no, a for Sunday disaster. No, afternoon at 4 o'clock, that's one yeah. thing, but not a Saturday at 11 or noon. Uh, and, and you're right about that because it's not just the people behind them, but the people behind them. It backs up, and sometimes and I've seen already three or four foursomes on a hole, and for you have two. Oh, yeah, and right. That is frustrating. Yeah, right. I mean, thanks for call. Well, it, it just spoils everybody's, uh, again, it spoils everybody's fun. All right, 414-799-1620 is number. Marty in Mequon. Hi, Marty. Hello, Jeff. Um, I completely disagree with you. Um, I don't screw around when I'm on the golf course. I go up. I make my putts. I, I don't do anything that's slow. Uh, but there's always like security people on the course that are making a scene. And I play golf normally with a guy who I've known my entire life. He can drive the ball like two, 275, something like that. And it's like people will be pushing me from the bat. And it's like, hey, do you want me to plunk these guys in the head? You know, when he's waiting for them to get out of range of where he can drive the ball. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess I'm not sure. I mean, Marty, I, I, I'm not sure what part you you disagree with me on. I, I mean, I, I think. I mean, the, I think the key to golf is that you. And I wanted to be this topic about racism, not golf. But I mean, I think the key to golf is that you know, whether you're a good golfer or a bad golfer, when it's your turn, you'll be ready to hit. You don't take the twelve practice swings. None of us are Jack Nicholas or Jordan Spieth out there. You're ready to hit the ball, and, and you do it. I mean, what kills everybody is the times when you stand over the ball, you stand over the ball, you take six practice swings, and then you hit it and it goes twenty feet. Then you do the same thing over and over again. I mean, as long as you're you're ready to play, and yeah, in the case you're talking about, if you've got a guy that's hitting three hundred yards or whatever, yeah, you don't want to hit in front of the groups into him. But but at the same time, you've got to be ready to play. Now, having said all that, I, I acknowledge I listen to this story and i'm first of all i don't understand how they could have decided after just one hole that these people weren't going to be able to keep up with the pace of play that sounds to me odd if it in fact happened that they approached them on the second hole and already decided that they were falling behind or whatever normally what happens is you give people a little bit of space and then you know once you get a hole open between you or whatever you tell them you got to move up the pace of play you got to speed up you give them warnings um but before you get to this i i think this club handled this extremely extremely poorly at the same time i i do i kind of sense that these these ladies might have i i think um, again, decided to kind of make this perhaps even worse because they didn't like the fact that they were being pushed. Whether this was racial or not, I, I don't know. But as we get ready to start the golf season, you know, maybe the bottom line is if everybody just moves faster and keeps up, you're not going to have these problems in the first place, which isn't to say that I think the golf course necessarily handled this well. 157, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 208. 
Actually, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, glad to have you with us. Um, there was a special election in Arizona last night. Um, it has not gotten as much attention as some of these other special elections have because the Republican won it. Um, uh, Debbie Lesko, she's a former state lawmaker. She defeated um, her opponent, which was a Democratic physician. Um, the, the Republican won with about 53% of the vote. And so since the Republicans, you know, held the seat, it's not a switch and it's not getting as much attention. Now, that, that's not to say that there's not a troubling issue here if you're a Republican. And that is that this, this district, this congressional district in Arizona, outside of Phoenix, extremely conservative. President Trump won the district by 20 points in 2016. So here, you know, a, a year and a half, essentially later, you have a congressional election. I understand it's always kind of a different dynamic. The Republican wins, but she wins by a, a 5% margin as opposed to a 20% margin. So, I mean, clearly, they're, while not panic, gee, we've lost this seat, it's, again, another one of these troubling indicators that the support that President Trump had in this district didn't translate into the Republican candidate, or alternatively, that a lot of people who voted for Donald Trump don't vote for Republicans or turned off or whatever. Now, this this brings us to the, the question, not of 2018, but of, of 2020. 2018 will be what 2018 is. Some people are predicting that it's going to be a, a blue wave and, you know, we've all seen wave elections in the past. 2008 was a wave election for the Democrats. People were, were tired of eight years of President Bush. Barack Obama was the hope and change guy. And everybody who was running as a Democrat ended up winning. Or I, I, I speak, of course, figuratively, but not literally. But it, it was a wave election. 2010. Um, people became very, very disenchanted with Democrats, and they lashed out, couldn't vote against Barack Obama, but they had voted against other people that had Ds on their name. 2010 was a great year for Republicans. 1994, which was two years into the Clinton administration, that was the Republican Revolution. Great, I mean, a, a great year for Republicans. You've seen wave elections go either way, and there's an argument that 2018 might be a wave election for the Democrats. I, I don't know. I, I just, I don't know. There's clearly indicators of that, and, and you have to, I mean, Republicans, I think, have enough warning now that they know that they have to adapt to it. But let's face it, the, the big, the elephant in the room, no pun intended for Republicans, the elephant for the room in 2018 and then moving forward it is Donald Trump. Donald Trump, of course, is, as the president, I guess is the head of the Republican Party, but Trump, in many respects, is not a traditional Republican at all. Trump also kind of does his own thing for good or or bad. And there's no question that President Trump has been incredibly divisive. I happen to believe that some of the problems that candidates, Republican candidates, have had in some of these special elections has been the fact that you've got people who are energized, because they don't like Donald Trump, to go out and vote against any Republican. Just like in 2010, people who didn't like Barack Obama were energized to go out and vote for you know anybody who was running as a Democrat. So in many respects, I think 2018 is shaping up 
at least so far in these in the special elections, to be kind of the mirror opposite of what happened in 2010. And, and that's just the way politics works in cycles. But one of the big questions moving forward has going to be, has got to be, what happens with the president? I understand that he's got a guy now who's um, supposedly running his re-election campaign. I understand he's been running, raising money to run for re-election in 2020. But one of the things that people are speculating on now is, will he really do it? If his poll numbers, and I understand some people don't believe the polls, but if his poll numbers continue to be underwater, if Republicans lose a number of seats in the upcoming midterm elections, um, whether they lose the House or lose the Senate or somehow are able to keep control of one or the other but still lose a lot of seats, that the fundamental issue becomes, does Donald Trump run again or does he simply declare victory, take his dough, and go sit on a beach somewhere? All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Would you prefer to see the president just simply say, I'm going to accomplish all I can possibly accomplish, I'm going to be a one-term president, and then I'm going to move on? Would you like to see him quit after one term? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And is there any chance he quits after one term? We discuss next. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do you want to see Trump run again? I'll give you my answer in just a minute. We'll discuss. It's 2.15. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. John Kasich, he's already in New Hampshire. Some people think he's laying the groundwork for his own presidential run. Would you like to see four more years of Trump? Or actually, it would be six more years of Trump. Stick around. 215, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 217, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Let's see. Uh... The Bucks are back in the playoffs, and the road to the finals goes through WTMJ. Hear each and every playoff game live with the flagship home of the Bucks. For the full broadcast schedule, text the word Bucks to the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line 414-799-1620. All right, a lot of commentary out there about regardless of what happens in the midterms, would would it be better? Regardless of what happens with the Russia investigation. Would it be better for President Trump to simply say, you know what, I'm going to do what those college kids that Wagner was talking about in the last segment is. I'm going to be one and done. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I will tell you this. I think for the Republican Party and for the country, I think it would be a good thing if President Trump were simply to declare victory after one term and then kind of move on. Um, the, the, here is, is part of the issue. The, the reality is he is so controversial that I am very, very skeptical about whether or not he can win re-election. I am concerned that if he is running for re-election, um, the next two years, we're, we're just going to be caught up in one scandal after another. You have an emerging bunch of stars in the Republican Party, whether it's Nikki Haley, I would say Mike Pence as well, who 
I think could take the mantle of Trumpism, um, that kind of populist stuff that appealed to so many people, and package it in a fashion that maybe you could get elected uh, again. And I think actually also announcing that he wasn't going to run for re-election would be somewhat of a freeing sort of thing because then he could, you know, then he could do what he wanted to do without, I, I guess, fear of how is this going to be viewed through the re-election prism. Uh, at the same time, I, I think it might give, especially if the 2018 midterms turn into be a debacle, it, it might give him... Well, I mean, it, it might give the Republicans a chance to maybe even keep the White House in 2020. Lamar in Orlando. Lamar, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff, thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. I, I was on the screen, I think that there's a greater chance that it snows in Orlando in July than <laughs> Trump not running for re-election. Really? I don't, I don't think that this guy is going to – I do not see Trump as quitting. I don't think his, his pride will allow him to. He has built – this entire persona based upon this bigger-than-life personality that's a go-getter, that does things his way, that does not fail. And I just do not see this guy, regardless of how the elections come out, I don't see him quitting. But I say that to say this, if they take huge hits, the Republicans take huge hits, right. the midterms, which I think that they will, I think his, his governing style just switches up. I think he goes further left. Um. Oh, you think he goes further left. So you think if, if it's if it is an electoral debacle in November, Republicans lose control of, of the House and the Senate, worst case scenario, you think his reaction, his response is going to be to move to the left? Hmm. Absolutely. Trump Trump is not a typical Republican to begin with. I right. think for, for a long time he was a Democrat. He almost ran for president as a Democrat. Um I think it I think in twenty twelve he almost ran as a Democrat uh, when he was considering running. Um and I think he just moves to the left. Because I think he's a Republican in name only. That's just me. Well, thanks for Well, I mean, he's certainly a non-traditional Republican as far as like his positions on like trying to prompt trade wars and and things like that. But look, here here's the bottom line of it. I, mean, I guess I I think we'll have a better idea after November. But here's the other dynamic that's going on. If if in fact the Democrats are able to take control of either the Senate or the House. Um, at that point in time, absolutely nothing is going to get accomplished. I mean, it, it's difficult to get stuff done right now because, and you have Republicans control of everything. Um, I, I think there's going to be nothing done. See, I think there's all sorts of honorable ways out. And I guess the question becomes from, uh, if we assume that President Trump is a huge egotist, and I don't necessarily say that in a bad way. You gotta be, you gotta have a huge ego to be the president, to, to think that I should be the leader of the free world. I mean, that, that attracts a certain type of people. You need a certain type of self-confidence to think you can take on those responsibilities. But if it gets to a situation where you, you start to think, okay, I, I'm not gonna be able to win, um, is it better to just declare victory and go home? or to, to go on and get beat big time? I mean, that's one of the questions. Here's the other dynamic that's going on there. I don't know if he's having any fun. I, I mean, you, you, I, you read all these reports, and I'm the guy that acknowledges mainstream media is out to get him. You know, there, there's no positive coverage at all. But still, you hear one story after another about him flying into a rage over this scandal or that scandal. His nominees can't get uh, confirmed. He's got people. There's all the infighting. People are quitting right and left. He's firing people right or left. It, it doesn't sound like it is a fun environment. 
And I understand being the president is cool, but I guess the question becomes, once you get to a certain point in your life, once you're in, in this case, you'd be in his mid-70s, you get to that certain point, and you realize, okay, this has been four years, and chances are the second four years of a president's term are always more controversial, um, things are always more difficult, that second four years, you reach a certain point where you say, do, do I want to do this? Do I want to have all... Do I want to have everything that my family does scrutinized? Do I want to have everything that I do scrutinized? Do I want to fight these battles? Now, maybe if you're a fighter, that's what you say, I'm going to thrive on this, and I love to get into the arena, and I love to have these battles, and I love to call the reporter stupid and do those type of things. Okay, you know, maybe that's it. At the same time, I think for a lot of us, it's kind of like, okay, that's fine. We've achieved this. We've been the president of the United States. Let's let's declare victory Let's stop digging that hole. Let's climb out. Let's fill it in, and let's uh, go home. Let's talk to Joseph in Appleton. Joseph, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Hi, um, Joseph. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. Uh, before you brought up the segment, I would have thought differently about the way you're framing it. I think one and done makes the most sense. Um, he has accomplished a lot, and he will accomplish even more, and probably even more for the Republican Party if he steps down, but I don't think he's going to. Yeah, do you think he's... Uh, he, Let's now. Who knows? But assuming, for the sake of argument, that the 2018 midterms are are a debacle for Republicans, do you think that might make him more likely to step down or less likely? Less likely. Less he likely. You just got that mindset, right? That I'm going to I'm going to prove them all wrong and, and go ahead. And, and, um, well, you now thanks for you. It's working for him now. But um, I don't know about the second time. Yeah. Well, thanks. For, well, I mean, right. That that is the dynamic. I mean, I, I guess. See, I look at the 2016 elections, and, and I, I understand, I hear this from you all, from people all the time, that, oh, you didn't think he was going to win? No, I didn't think he was going to win. But in my defense, I, I don't think there's too many people out there that thought he was going to win. In retrospect, I don't know that I, I think that the 2016 race was so much of a, gee, we love Donald Trump, as it was a rejection of Hillary Clinton. She doesn't want to hear that, but I, I mean... I just think America was not that into Hillary Clinton. Um, whether Trump can capture the same dynamic again, you know, two and a half years from now, well, does lightning strike twice? Typically not. It's 226. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 228, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Whether he runs again or not, that there's there's things that Trump does that are incredibly frustrating. Every once in a while, there's things that he does that... I know some people are offended by, but it, it does have a certain appeal to me. So yet yesterday, he's he's at this photo opportunity with the, the French president who w- was in Washington for that estate dinner and all. And, and he's there, and, and they're talking about the, the purpose of this. They're talking about the Iran, you know, how to handle the Iran situation and things like that. So they sit down in whatever room they sit down in to have people, you know, uh, have photograph to take photos and they've got the news gaggle and um you know they're, they're talking about again or they're intending to talk about oh issues about like national security what what are we going to do with north korea what are we going to do with iran so um you got the abc uh their chief white house correspondent jonathan carl who stands up and again that they're, they're you know these are the issues they're talking about and he he stands up and he doesn't ask about North Korea. He doesn't ask about Iraq. He just says, hey, would you consider pardoning Michael Cohen, um, who is, of course, the Trump personal lawyer, who, by the way, hasn't been charged with a crime yet? I mean, it, it's not like Cohen has been charged with anything, 
much less convicted of anything, much less sentenced with anything. Um, so, I mean, the, the whole question of pardon, uh, you know, who knows whether we do it or not, but it's, it's not even relevant at this point in time. But nevertheless, you've got this opportunity, and this guy from ABC decides, I'm going to embarrass him. So even though this is way, way down the road, would you consider pardoning him? To which I, I love resp- Trump's response. He looks at him and says, stupid question. Anybody else? <laughs> you know, and, that's, and, um, you know it, and the truth of the matter is, it was, in context, a stupid question. At some point in time, it may be relevant to ask the President of the United States, would you consider a pardon for this guy? But he hasn't even been charged with a crime yet. The only reason to do that is try to debate him. And in this particular case, I think Trump was absolutely right by calling a spade a spade and saying, stupid question. It's 2.35, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. The Bucks lose a tough one in Game 5 against the Celtics in Boston. Now it's win or go home as the series shifts back to Milwaukee. Thursday night, Bucks TV guy Jim Paschke shares his thoughts on the Bucks' chances. Tune in, 3.30 this afternoon on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. All right, um, it seems like another day, another rumble at a fast food place. Remember it was about a week or two ago that there were, we had the, the thing that happened at the McDonald's in Glendale, and there was the woman who... Going through the drive-thru, didn't get her bacon sandwich. And she threw it at the gal behind the counter and through the drive-thru window and then kind of stormed into the store and started kicking and pummeling the the woman who worked at the McDonald's. And of course, this is all on surveillance video and stuff. And now, now she, the loser of the day, has, has been charged. Well, another day, another brawl. This um, and and Fox Six has the video of this, and the reason there's a video is because everybody carries cell phones nowadays, and so when this stuff happens, um, it, it gets caught on uh, it gets caught on on cell phone video. This happened at the Burger King restaurant in the shops at Fox River Center off of West Sunset Drive in Waukesha, about five twenty in the afternoon on on Monday. So this is Monday. 5.30, people are getting their, their food. Um, what happened is that there's this woman who is seen, well, in, in a fight with an 18-year-old assistant manager behind the counter at the Burger King. It, it's actually this amazing video because where it picks up, you've got this woman in, in this, this pink shirt who's just, she's got a hold of the other gal by, like, her hair or whatever, and there's witnesses, you can hear them say, she's not letting go. And there's, like, employees that are trying to get between the two of them. Now, at one point in time, the, the woman in the pink shirt, who is clearly the aggressor, <laughs> her her pants start coming down. And I get the idea that she's not wearing anything under this. And so, like, if you look at the cell phone video when they show it on Channel 6, they've got to kind of put that, like, like, glossy thing over it so you can't see what apparently is is showing but her 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 stretch pants are coming down she's in the middle of this this brawl um that really i mean it's kind of one of these scary things you've got you can hear the sound there's people in there with their kids and they're crying and they're just flailing at each other finally they end up separating the two of them Uh, according to a waukesha police report on this the woman in the pink shirt leaves minute later, minutes later with a man and two children, ages three and younger. Huh, she's the mom of the year. 
and they're later seen entering the Ross Dress for Less, a nearby retail store, also in the shopping center. They were located by police about 530. The woman was subsequently arrested for disorderly conduct and battery, um, but they're not releasing the name until the DA's office decides to formally issue charges. So, But it, again, it's, it's another one of these videos that you have out-of-control people. I don't know what it was that caused this woman to go berserk in the burger doodle, you know, on Monday evening at 5.30 to the point that you're attacking the 18-year-old assistant manager. I don't know if they knew anybody. I don't know if the woman was just unhappy because, you know, her Whopper didn't have enough special sauce or whatever they put on Whoppers. But you have, again, another one of these knockdown, drag-out fights, and this is the second that at least has gotten publicity in our immediate area in just the last couple weeks. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I have come to the conclusion that there are a lot of people out there that have the impulse control of fruit flies, meaning that no impulse control at, at all. I understand that sometimes there's going to be stuff that happens where somebody might say something or you don't get your meal served right or, or whatever. But it seems to me now we have gotten to the point where around here and around other places as well, I would guess, that the standard reaction is going to be, okay, I'm not happy, so I am going to attack. Maybe I'm just getting old, but I don't remember you know, repeated fistfights breaking out where customers are attacking employees at fast food places and here we have one story after another all right 414-799-1620 that is the accident mortgage talk and text line here's what i think needs to happen i think you need to make examples and i think this is where the cops come in this is where the da's office in waukesha comes in this is where the waukesha judges come in you need to i think start making people examples of people who behave in this fashion and that is you got to say enough is enough. Somebody else could get hurt. Somebody could have been really badly hurt in connection with this, where you have these two people that are just flailing at each other. And, again, my, my guess is because the lady, the, the customer, was arrested. You know, she's the one that was the aggressor. She sure looks like the aggressor in the video that I watched. But, you know, shouldn't you be able to walk into a fast food place without having to be worried that there's going to be a Pier 6 brawl that breaks out? And it doesn't matter whether it's in Glendale or Waukesha or anywhere. It seems like that could happen any place at any time. Again, because we've got certain people out there who just don't know how to behave in a civilized society. And the reaction, the response to that is, then they got to be held accountable. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I would make an example of this woman. Will they do it? Don't know. What do you think should happen? 414-799-1620. It's 241. And if you're in one of these places and, and this brawl breaks out, I mean, what what do you end up doing? You're there with your kids. It's 520 on Monday. All you want to do is pick up, you know, your food so you can go home. And now you have these people that are just wailing at each other. 242, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 2.45, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. He dropped off. I was going to take that call first. We had one caller who said that this this fight at the Burger King or the fight at the McDonald's, it's all Trump's fault. 
<laughs> He's going to say, it's, it's Trump. You can blame President Trump for a lot of stuff, but the fact that you have some out-of-control customer who dukes it out with an 18-year-old assistant manager at the Burger King in Waukesha on Monday, I think it's a bit of a stretch to say it's Donald Trump's fault. Just saying on that one. Let's start with Sue in Milwaukee. Sue, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Yeah, that's pretty comical. You can't blame everything on him. Right, you, you, you can blame a lot of stuff on him, but I mean, okay. <laughs> yeah. What do you uh, think? Well, so? I just, I just had to say, uh, forty years ago, I worked at Jack in the Box. I had a woman upset with me on the internet or on the intercom and jumped through the window at me, and I promptly slammed the window on her face because she was coming to get me. And I locked her out. She promptly left before the police came. <laughs> I was at McDonald's four months ago. Um, trying to have a meal with my family. Uh, some girls that worked there met with some other girls that worked down the street and got off the bus, and all of a sudden he was on. The older fellow was trying to help them. They're in the hallway. I mean, if it was up to me, I would have locked them all in that glass enclosure and waited for the police. So but what happened is you had terrible. some people who worked. You had was this like employees at the McDonald's yeah, and other people, the people came. That were, the girls were employed at the McDonald's. Some other girls came that were employed down the street from there. They're on a bus line. They're on 76 in Oklahoma. And um, they had some kind of thing go down, so the kid, all the kids were in that one enclosure. Here's an old man trying to go, oh, no, no, these were, I said, sir, you need to back up. You're going to get hurt. Because he kept trying to break it up. And then, you know, when the battle was being lost, the girl stopped. She walked away. She said, I'm going to get a hold of my mama. She's going to come in here and take care of this. Uh. Now, what is that telling you? That's telling you that their parents are okay with this. Come on, our system needs to be better. If you're not going to teach your children that there's consequences, that our justice system needs to be better, that they know consequences without anybody telling them. You know, these jails are like a country club. There's well, no kind of deterrent. People are not afraid. They do whatever they want because there's no deterrent. Well, right, there's and no there's no accountability. Problem. I mean, uh, thanks on. for the call. I mean, right, exactly. Well, there, uh, there's just like no, there's just no accountability for this type of stuff. And again, we have people who, who have no impulse control at all. You know, the reaction is, and again, I don't know what set off this particular fight. The one at the McDonald's in Glendale was uh, the, the lady, she gets enraged because she didn't get the right bacon sandwich. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go in and I'm going to, you know, kick the you-know-what out of, you know, the, the manager at the restaurant. It's like, really? Lucy on the west side. Lucy, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. I don't... Don't, don't tell me you're gonna, you think this is all Trump's fault either. <laughs> no. Okay. All right. okay. If, I, if I could find a way to say that, I might. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. Say that. One thing you might want to know: this has gone national. It's on Fox Six National News. Okay. Um, <laughs> I don't disagree with what people are saying about accountability, but I see another level of accountability, and that's on the ownership, the franchise owners of these fast food restaurants. An eighteen-year-old assistant manager. Give me a break. <laughs> they need to hire and have somebody on staff there who's a manager some somewhere between the age of 30 and 60 to you need grown-ups in there well to exercise some adult supervision your last caller made the point that there was a fracas between young sets of young people and one was on the employee side an 18 year old does not have the judgment to run a restaurant yeah let alone well a dispute and I know the franchises want to save money, and I know also that now that we're coming back closer to full employment, some of the older people that were taking McDonald's jobs out of desperation are now back into the more conventional workforce, and the franchise owners are you know, to take hiring the teenagers, and I'm also taking teenage employment, but you've got to have adult supervision. 
Yeah, because um, right, this was the 18 year old assistant manager, and we don't know what set this off. But I, my, my my guess, I yeah, my guess is she didn't like something that she got or whatever, and she flies into a rage. And right, you don't you don't have the grown up that's there to try to like control the situation. No, I, Lucy, thanks for calling. I mean, I think that's I, I think that that's a a fair comment as well. But I, I see here here's the the bigger point. We we can either get control of society, or I mean, do we really want to get to a point where you need to have security guards in, in every school? Okay, we'll have them in schools. Then do you need security guards in, in every fast food restaurant up and down areas? And I mean, I bring this up. This this is not this is not an area of Waukesha that I think any of us would consider to be a high crime area. This isn't for people who might want to blow this type of stuff off. Say, ah, this is this is what happens. This is in this neighborhood. It's a rough neighborhood of Milwaukee or whatever. No, this this is this is Waukesha. And you know the thing at the McDonald's happened. It's the McDonald's in Glendale and Port Road that kind of borders on Whitefish Bay. You know we're we're seeing these type of things happen. Um, all across the area. And you can't just write it off to, oh, it's a bad neighborhood. What are you going to expect? It's also the attacks on the employees. Now, again, I, I don't know what the assistant manager, what her involvement in this was. But, you know, if the Fox News report is correct, you've got, you know, a woman who ultimately, the police report says, you know, the woman who was the aggressor ends up getting in this fight, and then she leaves with a guy and two children under the age of three in tow. Okay, well, this sounds like it's going to be the ultimate mom of the year. It's just, it is a frustrating societal thing, and I wish I had answers. I do know that I think the first thing you have to do is you have to treat this seriously, and when you've got this type of disruptive behavior, you do have to make examples of people, because like I say, there's all sorts of things that I, I, who hasn't? Can I see a show of hands? You know, who hasn't gone to a drive-through window at a fast food place and, and not gotten the right order, or not been served promptly, or, or whatever? You know, er, everybody's got that type of stuff. But you know, who among us have reacted that way by walking in and trying to, you know, attack the, the person that's working behind the counter? But yet, this appears to be, you know, the, the common thing. And um, it is interesting. In the Fox Six report, they're you know they're showing they're showing the video of this to various people in the area, and they're just all kind of shaking their heads going, what, what is going on here? And the answer is, it's just this is just another day in the life in this community and other communities, and we, we got to just at some point in time say, enough is enough, or start avoiding these places. I'm trying to picture my situation. All I want is a Whopper and fries. You know, if, if I wanted to go and watch... Uh, you know, mixed martial arts fight breakout. I I would have gone there, but that's not what I wanted to see. I just wanted my whopper. All right, it's two fifty three. This is Jeff Wagner. When we come back, Scott Warris in for John McCure. We'll find out what he and Melissa and Greg have on their minds. Stick around.